The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. Showtime. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome, one and all, to Night Fright. Folks, there's a legendary radio show out of the United States, and everybody listens to it in Canada, in major urban areas, called Coast to Coast. Tonight, we have a celebrity with us. His name is Richard Surratt. Many people will know Richard because Richard also does a show out of Toronto and out of Zoomer uh, Radio, AM70, called The Conspiracy Show. He also is a part-time host on that legendary show out of the United States called Coast to Coast. He also, he does a lot of stuff, folks. He has a TV program called The Conspiracy Show, which is now in its third season, which I think is still on Vision TV. Is that correct, uh, Richard? That is correct, yes. There you go, Vision TV. So you can access all this stuff, by the way, folks, through the www.nightfrightshow.com website because we're going to put all these links up there for you tonight. I should also tell you that Richard's got a wonderful new lecture series coming up called Follow the Truth 2, and that's going to take place right in Oshawa. As I said, it's only about 45 minutes east of Toronto, yeah, maybe a half an hour. And that's going to happen on April 26, 2015, it's my pleasure to welcome Richard Surrett to the show for the very first time, most definitely not the last. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Brent. I'm, I'm nice and warm in my little uh, condo here in North Toronto and uh, just looking outside with the, uh, the blustery winter weather we're having. So it's a great, door, great night to be indoors listening to the radio. Absolutely, without question. Uh, you know, as I always say, folks, get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. Hot chocolate would be a very good choice for you all tonight. We're going to take you on a wonderful ride tonight. We're going to be looking at paranormal experiences that Richard's had. We're going to be looking at things that he's teaching uh, the younger people in Canada. We're going to talk about all things broadcasting, all things conspiracy-oriented. It's going to be a wonderful show. Let's start off... What are you teaching, Richard, in Oshawa? I, I'm teaching presently. I'm teaching uh, uh, talk radio uh, to second-year broadcasting students at Durham College, and it's the Durham College's School of Media, Art, and Design (MAD). Uh, I, I was a big fan of um, uh, Mad Men, and now I am a Mad Man uh, in more <laughs> ways than one, I suppose. But that's uh, I'm teaching a talk radio, and I uh, also in the fall I teach introduction to news writing and also um, uh, writing for broadcast. 
Now, I've got to ask you this question. It's kind of a cliche question. I'm sure you get asked all the time. How the heck did you get into the paranormal slash conspiracy realm? Was there any personal experiences or anything like that that was in your background to kind of make you gravitate towards that uh, makeup? Yeah, you know, Brent, I have never seen a UFO. Uh, I'd like to. Me either. And I'm, I'm not even sure I've seen a ghost. Wait a uh, second. You want to see a UFO? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I would, I'm, I'm very really? intrigued. I, I, I mean, I don't know what they are. I mean, I haven't nailed it down for sure. I have some ideas. But what happened to me uh, was when my father passed away on New Year's Eve 1986. I was 22 years old, and I was home from university on Christmas break. Um, and uh, he had heart disease. And he, when he went, he went fairly quickly and, and quite peacefully. Sorry. Um, but I was, so I'm, I'm home from Christmas break, back in my old bedroom in my mother's basement uh, in Brantford, Ontario. And uh, the day, uh, I was either the day of the burial or the day after, uh, I, um, I went to bed. And the rest of my family, my brothers, sisters, brother-in-laws, were in the adjoining room. And I remember this distinctly. Uh, they were watching Saturday Night Live, which was kind of a family tradition whenever we all got together. We would watch uh, Saturday Night Live. And um, they, um, so they're up watching it, and I fell asleep to them, to the sound of them listening to SNL or watching SNL. Then I woke up. I'm guessing it must have been, you know, very early in the morning or late at night, however you want to look at it. And the first thing I realized it was, it was pitch black. And the TV was no longer on, and I realized, ah, it's very late. They, the, the show's over. They've, they've left. They've gone home. And I was the only one, uh, aside from my older brother, I think, who was upstairs in the house along with my mother. Now, so I'm guessing it might have been around 3 in the morning. And I, for whatever reason, I felt a presence in the room, and I rolled over. And I looked towards, uh, the door was not a solid, it was one of those kind of accordion doors, type doors that you would slide. And there was a some, someone coming through the door. Now, the, the, it's a basement bedroom, so it gets very dark. Mm -hmm. And um, the only way I could tell that there was a presence coming through the door was, it appeared to be wearing a sweatshirt that I, that I used to have uh, that had a University of Victoria insignia on it uh, and that, it's, that glowed in the dark slightly. Mm -hmm was slightly illuminescent. And so I saw this and I, I'm, I'm confused because why is someone, either my brother or my mother, wearing my sweatshirt coming through my bedroom door at God knows what uh, hour of the, the, the night or morning? And so the first thing I do kind of reflexively is I rub my eyes. Uh, and I should note sort of as a caveat, typically, you know, when, when um, there's a, a death in the family, it's not unusual for the family physician to prescribe a, um, a sedative for of any course. member of the family. And um, my mother was sort of in charge of those, and she dutifully sort of cut uh, each little, they're little tiny tapsels, capsules, and she'd cut them into almost thirds, just enough to take the edge off. You know, not, not to cause, you know, someone to go into a, a, a coma or anything. So I, admittedly, I took one. But as I say, just a, 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 like a corner of a tablet. Um, so I, I, I throw that out there because it is possible that, um, you know, that may have had some effect on what happened, but um, I, I don't think so. So this figure is coming now towards my bed, and I'm calling out to it. Now, this is, this is 30 years ago, Brent. I'm, I'm the, the, uh, the fog of war, as Brian Williams might say. <laughs> so I, um, I, I think I called out my mother's name and no answer. And um, then I start, you know, waving my arms 
in front of my head to see, you know, can I touch something? Is there something there? And uh, here's how I, I reason that I wasn't dreaming. Um, I, I looked to my left to the nightstand by the bed to see what time it was instinctively. And I realized because my clock radio wasn't there because I was home on Christmas break. And so my clock radio was where it should have been back in the dorm in my dorm room at uh, in, in university at Wilfrid Laurier University. Now, I'm reasoning had I been dreaming that clock, you know, when you dream, sometimes things aren't exactly as they should be. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that clock would have been there. But it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. It was back in my dorm. So there was a logic there. That's how I reasoned I wasn't dreaming. So anyway, so this figure's coming towards me. I'm calling out, and um, no response. It's getting closer, closer, closer. A shadowy figure doesn't appear to be too tall. And uh, now here's where it gets a little foggy. At some point, I, I, um, I lay back down, and I closed my eyes. I'm not sure why I would do this. I never remember being afraid, just confused, befuddled. I couldn't piece what was going on together. Was this the... The sedative, um, talking, what's going on? Then when I opened my eyes, this figure was hovering above me, parallel with my body. So its head was parallel, uh, staring down at my head, and it was sort of hovering above me lengthwise, head-to-head, toe-to-toe. And I looked up into this specter's face, and it was me. And now I'm really confused. I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? I, I really didn't know anything about doppelgangers or out-of-body uh, experience or astral travel or any of that at that point. Um, so again, instinctively, I, I wave with my hands, and my hands are going right through this figure, and all of a sudden, almost like a waveform, it collapses into like a singularity, like a little dot, and gets sucked up into the corner of the room like that, gone. And that was my experience. Uh, now, uh, and, and, you know, for the next dozen years, um, I would talk to people, uh, people, paranormal researchers, psychics, mediums, what have you, asking them, what do you think that was? Why did I see me? Um, I never mentioned it to my family until years later when my brother-in-law, um, who was quite close to my dad, uh, confessed to me that one night he was getting into his car after he was teaching at Conestoga College, went up to the parking lot in the middle of the night, got into the car, and immediately sensed my father's presence in the back seat. It's one of those things where you you can't really describe, you, you sort of see them, but you don't exactly see them. And my brother-in-law uh, confessed that he got quite angry that my father was in the back seat. And he wanted to know, you know, why are you here? Why aren't you with your family? You know, why are you bothering me? Then I told him what happened to me. And then subsequently I learned about things from my mother, um, how she would hear heavy breathing beside her in the middle of the night. Um, my my wife, before we were married, um, was visiting my mother in Brantford and stayed in a bedroom upstairs and felt the presence of someone uh, come in into the room uh, and kiss her on the forehead and she saw sort of black wavy hair and glasses, which, you know, my father wore glasses, had dark wavy hair. That is sort of the, tum, the sum total of my uh, paranormal experiences. Wow. And what experiences they were. Now, you had mentioned there was an absence of fear in your particular case. Was there an absence of fear with your mother's case as well? Your mother's no, case? no. She was, um, 
she was quite shaken. Mm. Um, one of those situations where her, definitely dis, her distinct breathing, uh, my, like my father, you know, if he were asleep beside her, um, she thought maybe there was an animal outside, you know, beneath the bedroom window in the garden. She went out, she looked, she checked under the bed, the closets, and, and all the, the while, the breathing, even with the lights on, is persistent, persisting, rather. Um, my, um, my, my, in my wife's uh, case, she was in Brantford. I was actually on the air at CFRB doing a show, and for some reason during a commercial break, I went back to the office, which I never do, but for some reason I went back to the office, and sure enough, the message light was flashing on the phone. And uh, so I, I dialed the number to retrieve messages, and it was uh, my wife, the mighty Aphrodite, I call her, uh, calling and leaving a message from Brantford. And she was very upset, um, speaking very quickly, almost in a panic, uh, trying to explain to me what had just happened. And um, this was uh, the, uh, you know, feeling the presence of someone coming into the room and so forth. And then, all of a sudden, I've never heard this on a, on a you know a digital f phone uh, answering service. There was this white noise, and her voice kept cutting in and out, and she sounded very very distant while she's telling me the story. This white noise, um, and so um, you know I had to get back to the studio. The break was over. I eventually I called her after the show, and she told me everything that had happened. And then even while we were talking, uh, you know that white noise was coming in. It was uh, very very bizarre. Richard, what scares you? What's the scariest thing for you in the whole world? Uh, letting my family down. Ah. And what would happen if that were to happen? What? How do you define letting your family down? Um, not being there for them, whether it's emotionally, materially, you know, providing, not being able to provide. The same sort of things that worry most, not only parents, but also adult children of parents. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone who has who is responsible uh, for someone, and we are all responsible for someone. We may not realize it. Um, someone may feel, um, you know, that they don't have any responsibilities. But maybe they maybe there's a friend that looks up to them that they're not, and they're not even aware. They are sort of in a way responsible for that person. So that that's what um, I think scares me the most. Uh, but nothing nothing sort of otherworldly. I happen to be an Orthodox Christian, and so the idea of death, for example. It may sound strange to some people. I'm kind of looking forward to finding out, you know, what it what it's like on the other side. So, so that doesn't that doesn't upset me. That doesn't worry me. When you look at the global perspective around the world today, global geopolitics, is there anything in that realm that frightens you for the safety of your family? Well, I am concerned, obviously, about you know the, the future. What kind of world will my children inherit and grandchildren uh, but and, and it's very easy to get cynical talking about uh, the sorts of things I talk about on the radio the, and I'm talking you know about political subterfuge and, and geopolitics as you as you say and and conspiracy and the hidden hand and yeah. you know who's orchestrating all of this and who's in control and so forth I'm actually quite hopeful uh, for the future I was speaking with James Canton on coast to coast the other night and and uh, he was saying that the next 10 years uh, the uh, the acceleration of change will look like the previous will dwarf the previous ten thousand. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around that. I mean, it, that 
it doesn't scare me, but that is going to be a little alarming. <laughs> I don't know. You know I'm well, I'll tell you, Richard, it scares the hell out of me because I'm still learning Facebook. <laughs> if they change the interface again, I'm done for. <laughs> I'm still learning MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Soret's our guest tonight, folks. www.nightfrightshow.com. You will find all his contact information there. And, of course, Richard is the uh, part-time host for Coast to Coast, as he just mentioned. He also has his own television show. Uh, called The Conspiracy Show on Vision TV, and you can see it up in Canada, and probably online. I suspect there's a way you could probably view it online as well. Uh, and he has uh, his own radio show, The Conspiracy Show, every Sunday night on Zoomer Radio, which is, I think, 740, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Richard, just let me read this, and this is from your newsletter, The Dead Drop. And I quote, journalists are generally well-intentioned citizens. They want to inform the public and keep elected officials honest. But they're just like the rest of us, too. They want to live comfortably. They have car payments and a mortgage. Their children need braces and the latest iPhone. Snap. They're trapped. We're all trapped. Then Richard poses a very poignant question, very profound. I think it's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Are you willing to give up your house and risk your daughter's college fund to pursue the truth? And I'm going to put that question right to Richard. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to risk? Um, admittedly, that's I'm, good writing, I'm, by the way, Richard. Thank you. Writing. Uh, I, I guess um, I'm a bit of a coward. Uh, one might look at it that way. I'm not. I'm not going to put myself out there on the radio and in pursuit of, you know, furthering a truth uh, and jeopardize my family. Right. Because that's not fair to them. Yeah. Uh, they don't have a say in the matter. Um, so, you know, thank God for those people who have dedicated their lives to doing that. Um, but I don't think I'm likely to be put in that position um, because I'm interviewing the people that that put themselves out there and that's why I have such respect for them whether I agree with them or not I mean they are they are living they're walking the walk and talking the talk. they're walking the walk is, is what I'm trying to say uh, so I'm I'm interviewing them um, now one could argue well by virtue of having the putting those people on the air maybe you know I am opening myself up to something like that well thank God you know in the 19 18 years I've been doing this. Uh, it's, you know, that's never been an issue. Richard Surrett is our guest tonight. Folks, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest picture. That'll take you right to his website. The Conspiracy Show is his baby. And uh, he is also a part-time host, guest host for that wonderful show, Coast to Coast. It's the staple of the industry and inspired me to start Night Fright uh, when I was up in Sudbury. I, and Brent, you were terrific. Uh, you, you were on the the program with me a few months back, and we did uh, three hours on on JFK, and it was just, uh, you know, ninety nine percent thanks to you. <laughs> uh, just just a terrific, um, terrific three hours of radio. Thank I learned you. a lot. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for that. And Richard, I should get your address. And how do you spell your last name again for the check? <laughs> just like we rehearsed it. <laughs> <laughs> Richard's been very kind to me, folks. Trust me. Um, 
I don't get much publicity in my own country here in Canada. I don't get any, to be um, to be honest with you. And Richard was kind enough to have me on the conspiracy show, and I was just amazed to be on a legendary show like Richard's. And then Richard was kind enough this year. I, the very JFK special that I used to tune into year after year after year on coast to coast, Richard asked me to be the guest to talk about my book, and I was just elated. I can't tell you. I drove all the way to Montreal because I couldn't find anybody with a landline, Richard. <laughs> Is that right? In Kingston, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, no, I, that's okay. That was more than, more than fine. Um, now, Richard, you, being in Toronto, you're not a Leafs fan, are you? Uh, do I have to admit to that? <laughs> uh, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? I am. Uh, I am. Uh, someone, I think it was Ken Dryden in, uh, in his book, The Game, mm -hmm. actually said, mm -hmm. the golden age of hockey is whenever you're 11 years old. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. certainly true for me. When I was 11 uh, in 1975, uh, you know, the age of Daryl Sittler and Lanny McDonald. Yeah. And on the odd Saturday night when the CBC Hockey Night in Canada wasn't pl uh, covering a Leaf game, I would um, um, sit on the couch next to my dad and um, listen to Danny Gallivan. I mean, I'm a Danny Gallivan yeah, fan. I mean, that just transcends allegiance to any sports franchise. Uh, the man was an artist. And um, so was Guy Lafleur and Jacques Lemaire and Scotty Bowman and Sam Pollock. Uh, so although, you know, I'm not a, a, a Habs fan per se, the mighty Aphrodite is. And it's it's like the two solitudes right in this house. <laughs> I'm a Leaf fan. She's a Habs fan. There's a Canadian um, dynamic. Still, you know, with the, the, the 75 Canadians, uh, like the Red Army team in 72, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter even if you're not a hockey fan. It's like not being... A golf fan but all of a sudden you'd see jack nicholas or or tiger woods tee it up or you're not a boxing fan but you see muhammad ali it doesn't matter it transcends all of that you you stop what you're doing and you watch and you admire agreed agreed because it's of that magnitude it's of that level it's of that quality it's like watching muhammad ali as you said the greatest uh, just amazing yeah i guess we did grow up in the uh, in the heyday of of sports, especially you know, hockey in those days. And I would argue somewhat today, too. I think it's it's still solid. Uh, I'm all for watching uh, the Leafs come back and finally winning something again. You know, I was a big Palmateer fan, too. I used to Likewise. Oh, yes. When he used to eat his popcorn. Man. Yeah. Um, folks, uh, we're talking with Richard uh, Surrett tonight. We're finding out all about him tonight. Uh, what makes him tick. And as you know, he is guest host of Coast to Coast, and he has his own show called The Conspiracy Show. You had mentioned you're an Orthodox Christian, but you also, I suspect, you believe that there's something else out there in terms of UFOs, the paranormal, etc. What's your okay. definition of God, and what do, you teach, what do you teach your children, for example? Uh, well, you know, I think the Bible talks about having a childlike faith that's very easy for me to do because in many ways i am a child and i, I guess i some might say that's very naive uh, naive way of the world but that's the way i look I, not that i look at it you know there's an old man in the sky um i mean i think for me faith is built upon evidence and i think there's ample evidence uh, i look at creation as evidence what do i teach my children just 
I guess I try to to show them that the the same love that I have for them uh, and how I'm always thinking about them and always concerned and watching out for them and I say it's the same way with you know our Heavenly Father mm. um, so if you can imagine mm -hmm. the love that I have for you but infinitely times greater uh, and so it's not that he doesn't listen to your prayers sometimes the answer is no because he knows best and why does he know best because now this I haven't gotten into them yet but I've been thinking about this lately Okay. You know, he, he lives outside the, he resides, or she, whatever, outside the space-time continuum. So it's like he gets to look down on the parade, and he sees the middle, the, or the beginning of the parade, the middle, and the end. So he knows how all this plays out. Now, that doesn't negate free will, because we're in the middle of the parade, right. and we don't know how it ends. Um, so, um, you know, that's that's the way I look at, at God, as... Um, just this infinite wisdom and and um, uh, love, um, and um, you know, existing outside space and time, uh, incomprehensible. Um, and although that might be frustrating for some people, I find it comforting because it's just like I put that over there. I don't need to worry about it. It's I I can appreciate. I I will never understand that. I don't need to. I just I know that it is. When they come to you and they say, Daddy, are ghosts real? Are monsters real? There's someone living in my closet. Um, I'm trying to think if they've ever had that monster. I guess they've had, you know, they've had nightmares and so forth. Sure. Um, I, I tell, in terms of ghosts, I tell them, well, some people are quite certain they've seen them. Uh, and I, I tell them I, I believe that they believe they've seen something. Hmm. And then I go back to the Bible, and it talks about you know what happens, you know when we die. We are, we, you know, essentially we're asleep, and and there's this chasm between life and death. And there there have been a few instances. I tell them that communicating with the other side may be possible if God so divines, you know, if He wills it to be. But um, we're not really sure what ghosts are, but I I think people are seeing something. Richard Siritz, our guest tonight, folks, not only is he a great interviewer, a great host for Coast to Coast in his own show, The Conspiracy Show, he's one hell of a dad as well. He's just a terrific guy. Adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> what are your beliefs in UFOs? Well, uh, I, I certainly believe that 150 million people who have, who have claimed to have seen uh, an unidentified aerial object uh, since 1947, and that's according to a United Nations report. Right. Uh, I certainly don't think you know that 150 million people are seeing swamp gas. Um, now, maybe 98% of those things could be explained away. Um, a, a good portion of those, I think, now uh, are advanced uh, aerial... Um, uh, vehicles that are that are you know manufactured in the like United drums. States. We're talking about you know incredibly advanced aircraft uh, mm -hmm. f uh, that have been financed through, through black ops budgets. Right. Uh, you know trillions of dollars that have been siphoned off over the last 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, you know everything from anti gravitics to um, uh, you know near near light speed. Travel. Who knows what they have? As Ben Rich said, the former director of Skunk Works, uh, which was Lockheed Martin's um, sort of advanced secret program, 
Ben Rich said on his deathbed, we have things out in the desert in hangars that are 50 years beyond your wildest imagination. And if you've seen it on Star Trek or Star Wars, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the, the trouble. And he also said, we now have the technology to take E.T. home, whatever that, whatever that means, although I think, you know, we can sort of surmise. So, um, as I say, a lot of what people are seeing in the sky now are black ops advanced aircraft. There, there is a small percentage, and let's be conservative and say it's 1%. Well, 1% sure. of 150 million is 1.5 million. That's a lot. That's nothing to you know sneeze at. What are they saying? Um, I believe that we are, we hold a very special place in the universe. Um, I believe the universe was created just for us. And um, although having said that, I don't believe that you know, the existence of extraterrestrials necessarily, you know, dis negates uh, the existence of, of God. Uh, uh, one of the, the reason, reasons people cite for there being a, a sort of a lid um, uh, of secrecy um, regarding the UFO ET issue is that if it, the truth got out, it would be too disruptive to the world's religions. And I don't see that at all. That would, you know, if, if they were to land on the White House lawn, that's not going to change my view of God. Uh, it simply it simply alters my view of creation, uh, but I, I think uh, to cut right to the quick, my my present belief um, and you know it can be massaged and and, and altered uh, given more more data. But presently, I believe that we are talking about interdimensional entities. Uh, they could be um, angelic or demonic, um, and that certainly it actually resolves one of the big issues. Well, there's the Enrico Fermi uh, paradox, which is, you know, given the vastness of the universe and the number of Earth-like planets, um, you know, where are they? Where are the aliens? Um, the, if they're flitting in and out of our reality, in and out of our dimension, you know, that, that certainly explains, you know, why there people report seeing them and then all of a sudden they're gone. Um, so it resolves the Fermi, par Fermi paradox. Uh, and it also explains, you know, the other big stumbling block is the vastness of space and they would have to travel, you know, light years. It would take them years and years to get here to do what? Observe some, you know, poor farmer in the Ozarks and then take off? Uh, never been able to, you know, wrap, wrap my head, head around that. why they would do yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, I think they're being interdimensional answers a whole lot of, of um, riddles. Well, I'll ask you a cliche question. Why are they here? Well, if they are in fact interdimensional, uh, and we're talking from, if they're from the angelic realm, uh, well, angels are messengers from God, so they're here to intervene on our behalf. They are, they were created by God. They're not human. Um, they are sort of sent here to, um, to watch over us to a certain extent, to mm -hmm. deliver messages perhaps to intervene on our behalf. And if they're playing on the other side, uh, then they're here obviously to, you know, to muck things up and, and uh, you know, they hate um, Lucifer and his, his uh, legions. They, they hate mankind uh, because he believes that, you know, God loves us and not him uh, and that we are favored. Uh, and they are here to do everything they can to forestall um, you know, the return of the Messiah. Um, so that's, you know, obviously 
I, I recognize quite apart from the more popular view of ETs, and that is sort of the Steven Spielberg ET uh, mm-hmm. version. Uh, they're here to um, uh, to love us, to to welcome us into the cosmic neighborhood, to prepare us, uh, maybe to you know to provide us with cures for every known disease, to heal the planet. Uh, I don't necessarily see ETs as as you know being here riding in on a white charger uh, to save us from ourselves. It's 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 admittedly a very different view, and it's not. I have to tell you, not a very popular one when you go to UFO conferences. Richard, how do you feel about exorcisms and possessions? Most of us are familiar with the sort of the Catholic rite of exorcism from from you know mm-hmm. from television, movies, literature. Um, I'm admittedly somewhat ignorant of the Christian Orthodox view towards exorcism. I'm not aware. Uh, it's not considered one of the um, uh, um, rites of the, you know, the orth- like baptism or, or uh, chrismation or, or, you know, marriage or it's not, it's not one of the sacraments uh, as far as I'm aware. Um, so I guess in that sense, I'm I'm kind of on the outside looking in, but believing in God, believing in the Bible, and I don't, folks, I don't believe that, you know every word of it is literal. I, I mean, it's, much of it is written in, in parable, much of it is is an allegory, some of it is metaphor, but some of it is, I believe, uh, literal. Um, and so I do believe that there is, you know, evil in the world, mm-hmm. and I and I take the Bible. Um, literally when it says and when jesus said that this this world is ruled by a satan um but you know god intended it to be that way Uh, god uses evil for his own purposes so given that the world is is run by psychopaths and and um by satan then I, you know, I certainly believe in the existence of evil and 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 demonic realm and the and, the, and an unseen world, and so I, I do believe that it's possible for people to become possessed by by evil and demonic forces. Absolutely. As an extension of that, then I suspect you believe it is possible for people to be come unpossessed. In other words, have an exorcism or something along those lines to rid yes. themselves of this. Okay. Yes. In fact, um, further to that point, uh, I believe it was season one of the TV show. I traveled to Yonkers, New York, and a, uh, I, I met a, um, uh, a, a New York State certified uh, psychiatrist hmm. who wrote in a Catholic journal. And he's, he is admittedly a, you know, a staunch Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, you know, supposedly a man of science. And again, state certified, who documented what he called an authentic case of demonic possession, and and we talked for hours about this case. And uh, it's um, again, it's in its episode, I believe, in season one. If you go onto the conspiracyshow.com and and look it up, uh, exorcisms. So, um, and, what were some of the I, revelations, and no pun intended, mm-hmm. that he brought forward to you that you were surprised at? Well, he also put me in touch with a. Um, a Catholic priest from the New York Archdiocese who um, is anonymous uh, but spoke to me on, on condition of his anonymity um, mm-hmm. by phone and it was more what he had to tell me um, sort of confirming what the psychiatrist had said because the, the priest was there during the uh, it was multiple exorcisms performed on this woman 
and and uh, I guess in this sense, you know, the the uh, the movie has it right. Um, the Frankenheimer film. The um, it was Frankenheimer, wasn't it? The director. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, Levitation. Um, uh, speaking in foreign tongues. Um, this was uh, this was particularly uh, eerie. Uh, both the psychiatrist and the priest told me that while they were having a phone conversation um, about this case, and the uh, the psychiatrist was in Yonkers at the time on the phone, the priest happened to be vacationing in Florida, uh, and while they were on the phone with each other, this woman who was the uh, you know possessed supposedly, her voice came on the phone. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, this was not set up as a conference call. I mean, these, she would have had no way of knowing that they were calling or no way of getting in on this conversation. But her voice uh, came through and um, said, I know what you're doing. Uh, you're both, you know, you're both rotten. You're both, you know, expletive, expletive, expletive. She even described what the priest was wearing. Uh, she said, I know where you are. I can see you. You just came in. You were walking on the beach. All of this was happened to be true. Um, so that was uh, pretty alarming, and then he he also um, um, you know described the animal noises that came out of this woman's mouth and uh, uh, the levitation, uh, all textbook you know kind of stuff. Uh, and and um, before we started the uh, the conversation, the priest um, told me that you know by talking about this, you know we uh, I, I I'm a great believer in in you you tend to attract what you think about. Um, which is one of the reasons, uh, you know, the mighty Aphrodite will not allow that movie in this house. We, we haven't watched it. We don't even talk about it. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Anyway, he, he, he said, before we talk about this, um, you know, we need to protect each other. Um, and he, he proceeded to, this, to say a fairly lengthy prayer, some sort of a prayer of protection, uh, before we started talking about this case. Um, so that was uh, a little unsettling. But also faith affirming because uh, when you when you hear these things about you know evil uh, it just it just confirms for me um, that the, the the opposite is also true you know that there is a God and um, there is a heaven and and yes there is evil do you think it's manifesting more than ever before right now in the world we interesting. I, I just had an, uh, a conversation with an uh, artist, satirist, um, filmmaker by the name of Thomas Sheridan from Ireland, <laughs> who studies psychopaths and has written a book about them called "Puzzling People: The Labyrinth of Psychopaths." And we talked about while psychopaths are are fairly rare, um, they do tend to rise to sort of positions of power. Uh, and, and in fact, and I've, I've done a, a lot of thinking about this over the years, it's almost as if the game is rigged in favor of the psychopath. In other words, you know that old adage, nice guys finish last. Well, there's a reason for that, uh, because nice guys and nice women uh, aren't willing, you know, they have, conscience, they have a conscience, and, and um, they're not willing to do the things that are required to do in order for one to rise to the top. And that's true in politics. That's true in medicine. In many instances, I was shocked to learn that um, um, you know uh, uh, um, there are a lot of psychopaths who happen to be surgeons, 
Now, a psychopath doesn't have to be some rampaging serial killer like a son of Sam. A psychopath simply has to be someone who has no remorse, who's willing to do whatever it takes to get what they want. Um, they tend to be very, you know, cold, cunning, calculating individuals. So I think um, I dated her when I was in university. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, they're, they're out there. They, yeah, they are they out are. there. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, and I think the fact that there are psychopaths, men and women, uh, who hold positions of power, that explains an awful lot. Uh, and it's also why my worldview, which is, you know, the, the word conspiracy is obviously a very politically charged word. It's, it's used to stifle debate. It's used by people in the mainstream media who have no clue what the word actually means or where it comes from. Um, but, and I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist per se. Um, I look at conspiracy facts. Conspiracies happen. Um, and the ultimate conspiracy to me, again, goes back to the biblical narrative, and that is, you know, the existence of evil and Satan, and and um, that we are, as human beings, both the pawns and the prize in this game of spiritual warfare. That's the ultimate conspiracy. So everything that's playing out on the world stage, um, in many respects, uh, is just um, is following the ultimate script, as laid out in you know, Daniel and Revelations and, and so forth. So, um, Do you feel there's a psychopath at the helm somewhere in the world right now? Or psychopaths? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, they're not all, it's not always that obvious. It's not like, you know, 1930, 1940s Nazi Germany where you had a bunch of... Um, you know, knuckle-dragging brutes in brown shirts, you know, smashing mm -hmm. store windows that belong to to Jews or or putting uh, Jews in the oven. Uh, mm -hmm. they're, it's, they're far more sophisticated. Now they, they're very, you know, they're very charming. They, they might wear Armani suits. They might have a nice cozy corner office. They might, they might, um, um, you might, you know, perceive that they're on your side or that you're a friend. Um, but beneath that uh, facade, you know, lurks a psychopath, someone who would, at a moment's notice, throw you under the bus, you know, figuratively, not necessarily literally, uh, to get what they want. And that includes um, uh, people that run for political office, members of parliament, mayors, presidents of the United States. Uh, Lyndon Johnson's own um, advisor, um, and now his name escapes me, but he's a very popular um, journalist on PBS. Um, Bill Moyers. Yeah, Bill Moyers. Mm -hmm. Actually went behind uh, his boss's back. He, he worked for LBJ and sought out the advice of psychiatrists. And based on what Moyers and others said, LBJ was diagnosed as, I think they used the term sociopath, but I think sociopath, psychopath are pretty interchangeable. Mm -hmm. um, well, just as an aside about Johnson, he used to go to the John uh, yeah. to defecate, yeah. and he would have his, his aides around him taking notes as he would dictate things to them. Could you imagine? I mean, that, That's a textbook intimidation tactic yeah. where you demean and degrade your, um, uh, your underlings, and you make them sit there and listen to you and watch you do that while you're giving them orders. It's textbook. In fact, I won't name the person, but there was a, at one time a very well-known television host in the city who did the same thing to his staff. Really? Yeah. Wow. 
Richard Surrett's our guest tonight, folks. Um, Richard, how do you feel about, this is a great segue now because we've just been talking about, you know, how, how it's gone from Nazi Germany to evil and now people are wearing Armani, Armani suits and I'm thinking bankers. Do you think there's a new world order? Um, it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see the new world order as one world government. Um, I think, in my humble opinion, that's, I think that's a misnomer. I think people use mm. the terms interchangeably. I don't believe in one, that, that we're approaching a one world government. We're definitely in a new world order, and that can mean a number of different things. I mean, if you look at globalism, that's certainly a new world order. Um, it's not necessarily a conspiracy, it's a process, but the results are ultimately you know, a loss of individual uh, freedoms. Um, there are, you know, have admittedly some upsides to globalism as well. If you're, you know, if you're in manufacturing or you have a product and you want to sell it, you want, you have worldwide customers at your disposal, at your fingertips online, which is a wonderful thing. So there are some upsides to globalism, but I see, um, I see globalism um, and where it's going as becoming more of sort of a, um, corporatocracy where where corporations um, are are not necessarily even run by human beings anymore they're run by algorithms and they become this synthetic beast uh, that have no allegiance um, to nation states and um, I mean there's nothing nothing that that um, gets in the way of the you know the, the movement of free of free capital uh, and, and labor which is what you know, free markets love and corporations love. There's nothing worse for them than borders with jurisdictions, with their own, you know, rules and regulations. So it's in their best interest to get rid of those. So that's that's certainly where we're headed. Um, stopping it may be ultimately like shoveling sand against the tide. Do you find yeah. you're ostracized by mainstream media, taken as a quack, a kook? Uh, yeah, my uh, colleagues that I've worked with, um, particularly sort of, you know, the morning guy that's, you know, his, he gets his picture on the side of the bus. Um, they really don't know what to do with me. Um, they can't and, pigeonhole you, can they? No. And I also, I don't, I don't, I don't, re I'm not reading off a script. You know, they're the morning guy. They have to be the good corporate citizen. And I understand there, there are challenges with that. And, you know, uh, that's fine. They do, many of them do a great job. And, I couldn't do what they do, um, but I'm, in many ways, maybe I have ostracized myself. Um, when you're doing this kind of program, it's not going to work. You couldn't do your show uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon, nor could I. Uh, it just wouldn't work. There's something about a late night audience. So I kind of, if you know, if I'm going to be ostracized, I'm I'm kind of glad that I'm ostracized to to late night overnight radio because they're the they're the greatest audience. Agreed. It's not. It's not passive listening. You're not being heard in a car, when there's six people in the car, um, fighting for attention, uh, and then they're out of the car in 15 minutes. You have a captive audience. They're it's sitting there focus. in their den, listening to you. They have their earbuds in. They're listening to the podcast. You have their undivided attention. They're fully engaged. Um, and late night audiences, I just think they're unbiased, but I think they're intelligent, far more well read, uh, and. Um, passionate and wonderful. You know, part of the questions I'm asking you, I get asked myself. 
especially the ostracization uh, from various media and things like that. And then, you know, I'll interview somebody like Jane Goodall, and Jane Goodall told me she firmly believes there is a creature called Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what are your views on Bigfoot? And My first reaction is, why not? Why the yeah. hell not? Yeah. Um, you know, there are vast regions of this planet still in 2015 where nary a human has set foot. Uh, in fact, in, in uh, I think it was in r- rural Virginia, just last week I saw um, a story on yahoo.com where someone was um, hiking in the woods and they found, I think it was like a Winchester rifle that was um, leaning up against a tree and they figured that that rifle had been there since the Civil War, yes. undisturbed, never even noticed before. Uh, and, you know, despite what the environmental scaremongers would have you believe, you know, there are still vast areas of wilderness, uh, especially in the American Northwest and, and the Canadian Shield and the boreal forests. Uh, so why not? Um, you know, and part of me wants to believe uh, yeah, me too. I that, love that there is this creature out there, this eight-foot, elusive, foul-smelling, nocturnal, somewhat elusive uh, or somewhat shy. You see, uh, once again, somebody. Richard, I swear to God, I dated her. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree completely with you. I, you know, we haven't seen Nessie in a while. Loch Ness hasn't been around for a little while. And I hope that it reappears or somebody thinks they've seen it or something because I love these mysteries of the world. Can yeah. I, very quickly, can I just uh, uh, a selfless or a shameless self-promotion here? I just wanted to plug my uh, my, up the, my upcoming conference, um, Follow the Truth, in uh, Oshawa. It's Sunday, April the 26th. It's an evening event, Sunday, April 26th. And it's at the beautiful Regent Theatre, which is an old vaudeville theater which has been refurbished it's owned by the university of ontario it's a gorgeous theater and um i've got seven speakers uh I'm hoping the speakers, that Richard? well i'm hoping you'll come as my guest uh, course, brent and, and the next one that i do you're on my uh, i'd like you to speak uh but i have a, a gentleman who smuggled the zapruder film into canada in the early 1970s uh he was given uh, the the film a copy of the film was made of course by jim garrison it was given to penn jones and then to my uh, my colleague Nelson Fall, uh, who brought it to Canada and had it played on a CBC border station. Um, this was before uh, Geraldo Rivera showed the world the Zapruder film in 1975. This was 1973, and it wasn't announced. What he did was the CBC technicians agreed to play it after the color bars went up. It was unannounced. They played the Zapruder film, which is what 30 seconds, 22 seconds, something like that. Uh, and they what he what he did was um, Nelson Fall. He alerted all of the universities and research um, centers and people he knew that were within the broadcast area. And, you know, in those days, we didn't have our own little portable VCRs or DVD players or TiVo or anything like that. Only in universities did they have these big digital or TV stations, digital video, or not digital, but video recording devices. So they all knew at such and such an hour and such and such a minute, they were to press record. And so this is how copies of the Zapruder film were sort of disseminated to, to JFK assassination researchers and others um, throughout sort of southern Ontario, upstate New York, etc., um, because he smuggled that film. Anyway, Nelson is going to, uh, we're calling it Unpacking the Zapruder film. He's going to look at it frame by frame. Um, 
that's one. We also have the Honorable Paul Hellier oh. talking about the money mafia. Uh, he was on Coast to Coast last night with George Norrie. Sure, Paul's uh, been on here too, and I'm sure you've spoke with him as well. I have, I have. Yeah. Uh, ask him about have... the Avro Arrow. I'll ask him. Yes. He thinks there's one at Area 51. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, is that right? I yes. didn't know that. Yeah. Amazing. Um, wouldn't be surprised, though. Would it, I mean, that aircraft, sure. even today, would be uh, an incredible advanced aircraft, even though it would be, you know, almost 60 years old. Um, um, anyway, um, I will ask him about that. Uh, we also have Dr. Gary Chang, who is a professor uh, at Redeemer College in Ancaster, who owns an almost exact replica of the Shroud of Turin, the reported burial cloth of Jesus Christ. He's going to bring that. We're going to have an exhibit of this replica, and, and I'll be interviewing Dr. Chang about um, this remarkable Christian artifact, relic. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, remote viewer Douglas uh, James Cottrell, Dr. James Cottrell, Douglas James Cottrell, sure. uh, will be on the stage in a deep meditative trance, um, attempting to contact the Akashic Record in remote view. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who is a regular on my radio show, will be here. We're flying her up from the U.S., and she's bringing her spirit boxes with her and will attempt to communicate with the spirit world in the, the fabulous Regent Theatre. Uh, and uh, Jane Steele, a broadcaster playwright, uh, will be discussing the lost and found tribes of Israel. Looking forward to that. Me too. Um, and, uh, oh, Victor Vigiani, who is a, another regular on my radio show, will be uh, reviewing some of the most important government documents uh, that that really prove the U.S. government in particular, and also the Canadian government, are concerned about UFOs and know about them and have at times engaged them militarily. Wow. Oh, and so for, for information... Awesome show. That's fantastic. I'm very excited about it. So if yeah. people want to learn more about Follow the Truth, uh, they want to attend the conference, they can go to the website, www.followthetruth.tv. Followthetruth.tv. The speakers, the the entire agenda, all the speakers' bios, the box office telephone number there to order tickets. Follow the truth TV. Uh, uh, thank you, Brent. I appreciate you giving me some time. Oh no, 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 that's terrific. And Richard Charette, the Conspiracy Show, Sunday nights on the radio, uh, Eastern Time, eleven o'clock, seven forty uh, a.m. If you're in Toronto or around the area, if not, you can catch him on the internet as well. He hosts Coast to Coast from time to time as well. And his television show on Vision TV, also called The Conspiracy Show. Richard, thank you so much, my friend. Brent, I truly, uh, I, I can't remember the last time I've had so much uh, fun and pleasure speaking with someone for two hours. I, it was a real delight. Follow the truth TV. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> You've been a super trooper. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for joining us tonight, and thank you again to Richard. See you all next time. Time is now.
The JFK Assassination, the definitive book by Brent Holland. From inside the Oval Office to Davy Plaza, first-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com